Well, we know the world is in an awkward place right now, but we keep getting positive data reads, like a strong manufacturing ISM from the United States, a tight labour market that seems to be holding up, retail sales are picking up in Germany, UK house prices still rising, all the things central banks don't really want to see right now. So what happens if non-farm payrolls confirms that the labour market is staying as tight as ever? Can the Fed be even more hawkish than they are already? It's Friday, the 2nd of September, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, bond yields are pushing higher today, a six basis point rise in 10-year treasuries that are now up to 3.26%. Two years are up to 3.54%, also up six basis points. We've got smaller moves in continental Europe, except UK gilts up eight basis points to 2.87%. Two-year yields up over 3.08%. And Aussie 10-year yields, meanwhile, closed up nine basis points yesterday to 3.68%, up another four basis points on futures since then. US stocks down again, then bouncing back at the last moment. A uh, quarter percent fall in the NASDAQ, but the S&P 500 climbing back, finishing up 0.3% at close. The Dow flat most of the session, but half a percent after a lot of last-minute trades. And in Europe, the Euro stocks 50 is down 1.7%. The FTSE 100 has lost almost 1.9%. The VIX index, the fear gauge, got over 27 a couple of times overnight. Middle of last month, it settled for a spell below 20. So that shows how much volatility there is in the markets. We've seen a, a big climb in the US dollar as well. It's up 0.8%, up to 109.6 on the DXY index, the highest, I think, since 2002. I've got to be careful making declarations like that here. I might have misled you on the pound yesterday. We'll come to that in a second. Uh, the Euro is down. Down uh, 1%, the pound down 0.7%, the Aussie down uh, over 0.8% to below 67.8 US cents, and oil falling sharply again. WTI is down to almost 86 a barrel, falling 3.6% today. Brent is down 3.8% to just over $92, which is close to where it was before the war started. And Dutch gas futures rising again, up almost 6%, and heading back to 620, sorry, 260 euros, having uh, started the day below 245. So yields rising, the dollar rising, equities falling, oil falling. Uh, Ken Crompton joins me from NAB in Sydney. You know, it's as though the markets haven't finished yet when it comes to pricing in, uh, you know, the amount of work that needs to be done by the Fed uh, and the the impact it'll have in, in slowing the economy. But also, of course, you know, we're not seeing that slowness happening yet. So I wonder whether people are looking and thinking, well, you know, the Fed's going to have to work harder. Yeah, the month certainly began with a continuation of that big run-up in yields that, that occurred, you know, across across the course of, of August. I mean, you know, we, mm. we've now got um, yeah, ten-year treasuries touching, you know, sort of sneaking above three point two five overnight. That's the highest they've been, you know, sort of since shortly after, um, yeah, the the strong US CPI print back in June when the Fed started hiking seventy five basis points. And I guess you know, the market dynamic post that event for, for quite a while was that, well, with the, with the 75 point hike done then, another one done at the next meeting and, and the Fed keeping hawkish, then that was sort of seen as, as maybe the Fed doing enough. So you had a dynamic where yields, longer term yields continue to come off, you know, curves flattened a bit, um, you know, break even inflation or you know, market inflation expectations sort of fell away. What we started to see late last month, of course, was that you know, the Fed became hawkish again. You know, as you've said, 
data remained resilient, more, more probably the activity data, labour force data, and you know break evens continued to come up again. That that recession expectation story fell away. But I mean, what's been interesting the past couple of weeks has been a, a bit of a switch around in that again, where we've started to see mm. yeah inflation expectations falling as, as the Fed gets 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 more hawkish. So we're starting to see a little bit of a tip back into that uh, that sort of you know, sort of Fed is gonna Fed is gonna kill the kill the growth cycle type of narrative I, I, I think right but I mean but but similarly though you know this idea that you know that, that, that they're going to pivot you know next year and uh, you know the job's done that seems to have gone away a bit doesn't it the expectation now that it's going to take them longer yeah, that certainly that pricing of, of easing next year has started to ease, which I think is probably one of the most sort of egregious sort of mispricings that's been in the market for, for a while. It's still there <laughs> significantly, um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm sort of expecting that to, to begin to gradually be, be eased away further. But, um, but yeah, and we've seen you know, a whole roster of Fed speakers and even speakers from various other central banks pushing back on that, um, on that point. They think mm. it's going to be hot going to have to cut next year. So, I mean, talking about other central banks, I mean, look at the the, the spread between Aussie 10 years and uh, 10-year treasuries is around 46, 47 basis points. I mean, it has been higher lately, but of course, uh, it is a lot higher than it was earlier in the year. Like it was it was nine in February. So what can we glean from this in terms of, uh, you know, expectations of the Fed versus the, versus the RBA? Because this is quite a big spread now. Yeah, I've seen the a big change there has been the end of quantitative easing in Australia. So up until February, the RBA was still mm. buying a lot of bonds, and that was helping keep yields down a little bit relative to the US. Um, interestingly, the relative cash rate expectations in the two markets have converged, you know, quite a bit. Um, at that point, early in the year, those ten-year bond spreads were looking quite tight because the market was you know, pricing you know, tight ten-year spreads, but at the same time was expecting the RBA to massively out-hike the Fed and um, and take the cash rate much higher. The peak cash rates in both markets are now pretty much on par, you know, sort of around 3.9% next year. I mean, whether that gets realised or not is a, is a different question. But it, yeah, we're seeing that that 10-year bond spread is probably roughly fair at the moment. And yeah, we, we see it as being driven by cash rate differentials, but also there is a significant element of, of market volatility in there. And mm. you know, arguably mm. getting back down to the low 40s, we'd probably actually see that as being a little bit too tight given that given the amount of volatility that, that's going on in markets at the moment. So yeah. Yeah, that sort of 40 to 60 point range is somewhere that we've been expecting it to, to hold. Well, that volatility isn't going to go away, is it? So long as we keep on seeing good numbers, which is going to make the, the, the job of central banks harder. So we saw that... Uh, Overnight in the US, we might see it again tonight with non-farm payrolls. Who knows? But uh, certainly the uh, the ISMs, the uh, the manufacturing haven't moved. They are at fifty two point eight, so still expanding. But look, new orders up from forty eight to fifty one point three. So that is, you know, that's a positive sign. But uh, but also. Uh, uh, you know, it, it shows that the the economy is holding up, and maybe you know the Fed wants to see it soften a bit. Yeah, so it still sort of leaves us in that dynamic of you know, activity versus sentiment, um, which has been the, mm. the great you know, sort of the great conundrum that's going to need to be solved over the next sort of six or twelve months of seeing um, you know whether the this chatter of, of of the impact of higher rates is actually going to impact activity, and obviously yeah, at, at this point. Um, yeah, there, there are there, yeah there are signs of strength there, and that's what's making the Fed's job, mm. you know, quite um, yeah quite difficult. I mean, interestingly, you know, you did yeah. see in there, I mean, you know, the prices paid component fell quite sharply. That was down from sixty to around fifty two 
I think, um, you know, so that, that that's yeah. encouraging from the supply chain, you know, side of things. So will um, oil prices be a chunk of that, presumably? Um, I mean, oil obviously had quite a, quite a weak night um, overnight. I think it's down to sort of roughly a, a, a two-week low now. So, I mean, there were headlines out there mm. yesterday saying that, um, sort of talking about OPEC's um, sort of forward, um, yeah, sort of sort of forward supply indicators, Um which I guess all probably would have thought would uh, would would set oil prices up, but um, you know it's sort of caught in that dynamic as well between um, you know, whether you know, if, if the global economy is going to slow, whether we're going to start to see d- d- demand fall Have away. But um, but you know, like yeah, our yeah. commodity analysts yeah. would would stress that the supply situation is much much tighter than um, than this. But it's probably being priced yeah. at the moment, and I guess probably something well, that and, um, and China will be part of that as well, of course. When I mean, we we saw, I mean, Chengdu has gone yeah. into lockdown. Twenty one point two million people in lockdown for four days because of rising COVID cases. I mean, it, it just doesn't seem to stop there, does it? No. So and and there, there's not much sort of political um, willpower to, to change that policy at the moment. So that, that's presumably something that's going to that's going that's to be mm. sort of hanging over the. Hanging over the heads of, of of the Chinese economy for for a while yet. I mean, you know, we got we did get the Chinese um, you know, PMIs out, some of the PMIs out yesterday, and you know, you know output, yeah. new orders, new export orders, you know, everything down. So, um, and I mean, yeah. that's coming off the back of um, your sort of power cuts and and other and other sort of factors last month, some of which have eased, but yeah. um, but certainly the the weakness there is hardly encouraging. Yeah, exactly. Either. And the the Cajun PMI uh, fell for manufacturing fell below fifty as well. So that's in, you know the, 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 those numbers uh, heading down too. So just only going back to the United States though. Uh, so I mean, it's yeah, the, the falling prices is obviously good, isn't it? You know, in in the manufacturing. But um, we also saw uh, in the jobs numbers, um, the ADP numbers that we talked about yesterday uh, were fairly positive. Overnight, we saw the initial jobless claims. They fell more than expected. And the employment component of those manufacturing ISM numbers, they've risen from 49.9 to 54.2. So the labor market, it seems, is staying as tight as ever. I mean, you've put all of those together. uh, And then we get, uh, you know, if we get a strong jobs numbers tonight, then that's going to make the, the the Fed's job very difficult. Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things with those weekly jobless claims numbers is the continuing debate over seasonal adjustment. And I think I've seen the debate mm. now swing from, well, maybe it was maybe claims are being overstated in July due to you know auto retooling to you know maybe claims were understated back in April due to other seasonal factors. So um, yeah, you, you can always sort of change the story there a bit, but certainly yeah, the the downward trend from that from that July peak seems to be solidifying. So. Um, yeah, and sort of seeing other other employment measures, and obviously the the jolts data the the other night as well, very strong. So yeah, yeah. there's not much softness in, in labour markets out there. So that that's hardly bringing significant comfort to the Fed. And I guess um, you know the other thing that's going to be watched, of course, is where earnings are going in tonight's um, yeah in. Yeah, in, in, in tonight's payroll numbers. Yeah, well, hopefully there'll be some weakness in that. Um, you know, maybe prices are coming down. Look, we keep on talking about what a basket case the UK is and what uh, a basket case Europe is. But, you know, even there, <laughs> we're seeing signs of resilience. So German retail sales in July at 1.9% month on month, uh, down 2.6% uh, uh, over the year. 
But, you know, that's a lot better than the, uh, the, the fall for the year to June, which has been revised to 9.6% fall. So, you know, retail and obviously, you know, rising prices will be part of that. But also in the UK, house prices shooting up 10% year on year for August, uh, 0.8% for the month alone. I mean, they were up 14% a few months ago, but that's still high. So again, you know, resilience in the market. Yeah, it's certainly telling a different story to what you're seeing in you know in, in Australia. Obviously, we've also had um, you know, sort of rate rises coming through, but the UK housing market is certainly marching to a to a different drum there. And I guess um, you know if, if you look at the forward profiles for the Bank of England, um, you know, I mean, their approach from even from late last year, even though even though they were hiking early, they were certainly had a bit of bit of more of a dovish medium term outlook. You know, they've started to cast that aside. A little bit in terms of their cash rate path, obviously, um, you know, by putting in a fifty basis point hike at their at their last meeting, um, but at the same time, you know, sort of putting in that sort of quite bleak you know, growth forecast with the, with a recession all through next year. So, you know, clearly the the, mm. the sort of sending a, a slightly mixed signals there to some extent, but um, but I think the, the key thing, like all central banks, is that, is that the resolve is that in the near term, if activity holds up, there they will go higher. I yeah. think that's sort of the, the, the pivot they've they've started to make. And if if the U, U.S. keeps on seeing strong data, and, and we see more of it again tonight, you know, then the the strength in the U.S. dollar is going to be a concern to the rest of the world. Will be a concern to the U.S. as well. I was mentioning yesterday, by the way, I've got to make a correction because I said that uh, that the pound was heading towards where it was in in uh, 1985. It, it reached the low of a dollar sixteen yesterday. Actually, in 1985, it was a dollar five. It actually got to a dollar fourteen in March 2020, which is somewhat more recent than 1985. But I think I was saying it was heading down there. And there is a lot of speculation now that actually the pound will get down to, to that level. Uh, you know, some not sensible people are now, but some people are actually suggesting it could head to parity in the next year. But, you know, whichever way you look at it, the UK economy is very fragile and the US dollar is gaining momentum, it seems, you know, and it, it doesn't seem to be stopping. They stopped for a while, but we're back with a strong US dollar again today. What, up about 0.8%? Yeah, so with, um, and yield differentials are, are going to be a factor that, that plays into that. So um, mm. that. That, that's not hurting the dollar at all. Um, yeah, like, I mean, it's been sort of a constant point of debate amongst sort of FX strategy and, and various analysts over the course of this year as to when dollar weakness yeah, will will maybe set in, but um, but there's not much there that, the, that can point to that happening yet. So still quite a quite a resilient outlook there. Yeah, and I'm not quite sure how it plays into the markets, the, the situation in Ukraine, apart from the fact it keeps on going on. And we've got the, uh, how do you say it, the Zaporizhia nuclear plant, which has been... Uh, partially closed down now the largest nuclear reactor in europe because you know the russians and the ukrainians are both accusing each other of shelling near the plant the uh, international atomic energy agency is there now uh, there are con- concerns about some sort of accident that could happen if they keep on fighting there the eu is giving five million anti-radiation tablets to ukraine just in case i mean all of this just shows there is no end to, uh, to this war i mean the markets would be radically transformed if all of a sudden peace broke out but this could go on for years unless the, the West gives in. So the turmoil we are seeing in the markets, I mean, it doesn't look like it's going to go away anytime soon, really. So uh, we just we just got to get used to it. I th- I, th- I think so. Yeah, just, it's certainly a much higher volatility and, and higher uncertainty environment. And I think, um, you know, like we're sort of talking about how some of the yield curves are, are starting to roll over a little bit. Something I've been looking at you know, t- today has been that. Um, you know, the US nominal curve is staying around minus 25, um, sort of, but um, you know, the US real yield curve is now inverted, which does sort of point to that story that um, 
you know, it's the, the harder landing scenario is coming a little bit back uh, more into into the into the mind of markets. So, um, yeah, and obviously the uh, the European situation is um, you know, a hard landing over there is going to be dramatically um, dramatically more likely. Um, you know, the news on gas inventories the other day is obviously quite encouraging, but still it's going to be going to be a long winter in, in Europe, I think. Yeah, I don't know how long they're going to last for if they don't turn back on the taps from the, from the Russian end. Uh, so non-farm payrolls, we, you know, that's the main thing, isn't it, today? 228,000 jobs added last time. Hourly earnings were up 5.2% year-on-year. The unemployment rate was at 3.5%. If none of those soften then we can expect some sort of market reaction, I assume. Well, yeah. I mean, there has been a big run-up in yields now, as we've sort of been been constantly saying through the through this podcast um yeah I, I did i did even wonder ahead of the jackson hole speech you know could could power possibly talk rate expectations up any high and obviously he did um yeah, i do wonder if the market is is sort of primed for an, an asymmetric reaction tonight i do wonder if uh you know if a soft payrolls number or, or soft earnings in particular would probably actually trigger a much larger fall in bond yields than you might get um in terms of a of an increase if there was a if there was a miss to the to the upside again but um yeah, I guess time will tell. Expectations are settled around three hundred. I think is the is the survey number, and for the unemployment rate to be unchanged at three and a half percent. So, I guess uh, it's t- time will tell. Um, yeah, none, the 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 lead-ins have been um, yeah sort of relatively encouraging as we've as we've said, but. Um, yeah, but payrolls is the main number, so we'll see what that one says. It is the main number, so we'll uh, we'll see what it brings tonight. Good to talk, Ken. We'll catch you again very soon. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, no worries, Phil. Thank you. And there we are. Have a terrific weekend. I'm Phil Dobby for now. I'll be back again on Monday morning with another edition of The Morning Call. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.